Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, welcome to the Tortoise Podcast. This week in the Tortoise Newsroom, we cancelled the Christmas party. We've replaced it by a shooting weekend. Just a straightforward shooting weekend. Just a straightforward shooting weekend. (laughs) We had Bill Bryson in talking about his book on the body. We asked a fair bit about sweating, or more importantly, (laughs) how not to sweat. And we've put a small wager on unbecoming, becoming the word of 2019. And if all of that sounds like it makes no sense at all to you, welcome to Britain in November (laughs) (laughs) at the start of the 21st century when Prince Andrew's interview with Emily Maitlis of BBC Newsnight has entirely eclipsed not just the general election campaigns and their manifestos, but Tortoise's own plan for week three of a general election podcast. And I'm joined by the right royal... Basha Cummings, hello. And the majestic... Kerry Thomas. We at Tortoise, if you don't know us, are built to try and look at not what's just happened in the news, not breaking news, but what's driving it and where it's leading. And with that in mind, we're going to try and look at photographs that tell a royal story, a royal story that involves not just Prince Andrew, but the whole of the British royal family and even at a stretch, the Constitution. Monarchy fit for purpose. Jeremy Corbyn. Needs a bit of improvement. So let's start with trying to think about what on earth possessed him (laughs) to do it. Basher. Well, in our thinking this week about sort of how we try and plot out the rationale behind this car crash, we, we came across this picture, which is from 2012, and it's a picture of the royal family but really it's more than that it's a vision of the future and this is Charles's vision for what the, the royal family he hopes will become what an astonishing sight they're on the balcony at Buckingham Palace and there's Camilla there there's Prince Charles there's the Queen and ne- next to her is Prince William and then Kate and then there's Prince Harry so there's remarkably fewer of them than usual and so it's this image of a slimmed down monarchy which is where Prince Charles when he sees the throne is hoping the monarchy will go yeah, and what we also know, fascinatingly, is that you can see in the middle of the picture, and you can find it online if you want to look at it, there's the door to the room that's called the centre room at Buckingham Palace, just behind the balcony. And in that room, there is a grown man having a severe sense of humour failure. And that man <laughs> is Prince Andrew, because he does not like this vision, this image of a very, very slender royal family. And this is the moment when I think the rest of the royal family twigs that this is what's going on. All right, so what's the connection between the photograph, June 2012, on the balcony in Buckingham Palace, and the interview in the palace that ran 
last weekend. All right, so let me try out a theory and see if you think it's true. So my theory is that this moment on the balcony marks the beginning of a transition of power and authority from the Queen to Prince Charles, which is still going on. You can see that uh, Charles is now centre stage at the state opening of Parliament, at uh, Japanese coronation, those kind of things. And whilst the end point of that transition is being minutely planned by the palace and the family, this period we're in, which is now extended seven years already, of the transition is not planned at all. And that's why it's chaos and that is why it's going wrong. And in that chaos, not just Andrew, but Meghan and Harry and others are, are trying to establish themselves, trying to, trying to fight for a, for a role in this slimmed down family that we see on the balcony. So that's where all the problems come from. It's a, it's a big change. We held, if, you, if you're listening to this and you don't know Tortoise very well, one of the things that's our kind of organising principle is that we try to start any subject we look at with what we call a thinking. It's like an open news conference and we bring people in from different walks of life. We held one in the summer which was foreshadowed in many ways all of this. It was, how do you run four houses of Windsor, four royal families? Because it was clear that you had the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh, you had Charles and Camilla, you had William and Kate, and now Harry and Meghan, and they were all, if you like, their own Instagram feeds. Yeah. Right? And the curious thing is that if you followed the story this week, Andrew has done what you'd call decided to spend more time with his family, right? He's essentially (laughs) tried to resign as far as is humanly possible from the royal family. (laughs) But I don't think it's going to end there because you cannot have a situation like this where people are freelancing in the media as part of the royal family. And what's been exposed here is that this kind of four houses of Windsor, let a thousand flowers bloom, it's not working. I think that the interview that Andrew gave, that Prince Andrew gave, started originally with an attempt by him to talk about his other projects. Pitch at Palace, the work that he's doing on digital entrepreneurship. and, And the reason that makes sense is that if you think that you're not going to have an inevitable role in the royal family, you need you, to hustle. You need to hustle. Yeah. yeah. And that's that was the origin of it. So the, the, the origin of the interview, to go to, you know, the sort of central question we're trying to get to is, why did he do it? He did it, ironically enough, in order to give himself a stable platform for the future. Yeah. And we know, don't we, there were plans to handle this transition period better. There, were, there was talk of combining press offices, Prince Charles and Buckingham Palace. And just if you want an indication of how badly that has gone, we now know as well that Prince Charles knew nothing about this interview the interview on Newsnight until it was done and that you he say, was in New Zealand and, and, which is another thing that you just don't do Big you don't name. you don't make a fuss while while you know while the, the a member of the royal is abroad and the, the thing that's actually so striking about this those people who've worked in the palace can't believe what's happened and they say getting the right to host any kind of media event inside the palace let alone filming right is a whole project the idea of doing a interview during a general election, massive no-no, right? Doing an interview while one of the other members of the family is overseas, essentially it sucks all the attention away from their overseas trip. You know, as someone put it, you know, Prince Charles has a famous temper, things will have been thrown. So there's there's tons of that. But the the driving force behind it is the royal family are all in their own way preparing for the death of the Queen, and all in their own way, they're preparing very badly. 
So the next picture that's really key is the Central Park photograph taken in December 2010, which shows Prince Andrew wrapped up, standing next to Jeffrey Epstein, and they're taking a stroll through New York. And the thing about this picture, which is really important, is it's worth understanding Andrew's narrative in this, because it's really revealing. Andrew's narrative is, in 2010, I go and stay at Jeffrey Epstein's house. In 2011, February, the picture comes out, Prince and the Pedo. Following week, Virginia Roberts's interview comes out in the Mail on Sunday. At the time, Prince Andrew is working to promote business internationally, UK business, UK exports. He's working for UK trade and investment. He has a certain amount of support, financial and in terms of resources, from UKTI. But when this picture comes out and people say, what are you doing spending time with a convicted sex offender, he loses that UKTI job. And in his narrative of things, he then spends the next few years building up a set of interests, a set of organisations, a set of charitable endeavours that give him a public platform. Now, they're funded largely by things other than the stipend he gets from the Queen. Which is 250 grand plus a 20 grand naval pension. Right. So a lot of money, but not in the millions. And this is it, isn't it? That there's a whole strand to this story which is really about money. Yeah, and I think... You know, this is as close as we're going to get any of us to being art historians, interpreting these pictures in a way that uh, goes beyond the surface. So I think what we're looking at in this photo is two people who appear to have the same status. They're both dressed the same, they both carry themselves in the same way, but in one important respect, as you've been saying, James, they don't. One is a billionaire and one isn't. And that matters when it comes to Andrew's real reason for staying with Jeffrey Epstein. Because although Prince Andrew said in that entry that it was convenient and people were understandably appalled by that. What people at the palace are saying is that the real reason Prince Andrew stayed with Jeffrey Epstein is that it saved him a tonne of money. It was cheap. And when the alternative in New York, if you're looking for a sweet fit for a prince, might cost you thousands, that was enough to sway him to stay with Epstein. And there's a big issue here, and the reason why I think this story has a long, long way to run, is that we're now into the money of the royals, or as they would often perceive it, the lack of money of the royals. And so you look at Prince Andrew and you can say, well, we can identify the money you get from the Queen, the Duchy of Lancaster. We could, through Pitcher Palace, see how you could fund some of your staff through some of those good works, good deeds. And then there's the question about the world of finder's fees and introductions and brokerages and how much the royals as conveners also actually generate an income on that. And the reason why that's so significant is that you're talking about people who are living in the public eye, who are funded by the public, only in part, and the level of transparency and accountability on it is just is just very, very low. And and the reason why that's a real problem, the reason why some people are saying, oh well you know this is really awkward for Andrew, but actually it's quite a relief if you're Harry and Meghan or William and Kate is no no this visit of transparency on their finances is coming to all of them. Yeah, exactly. And, it's, and we know that Harry and Meghan are concerned that they don't have enough money either. So they've been asking for more money recently. They get theirs from Prince Charles through the Duchy of Cornwall. And so William gets more than Harry and Meghan. That's a source of some unhappiness. And when they look forward, they can see that after the Queen dies, William becomes Prince of Wales. So Harry and Meghan will have to go for their money to his brother. And there's a certain froideur there at the moment as well. And, and, there's, and there's a 
point here, Prince Charles says, look, I want to go to a smaller royal family. And so as a result, he's saying, look, I don't really want Andrew as a working royal. And I definitely is already been decided not going to have his children. Their security detail is stopped. They're not treated as working royals. What you're beginning to see is this slimming down without any public discussion, certainly it seems without internal consent. And that helps explain why you think, well, why don't I just go out on BBC Two on a Saturday night <laughs> yeah. and make my case? But if he thought that that was going to, I think in their words, draw a line under this issue and that was going to help rehabilitate his image and allow him to focus on Pitch at Palace, which is where he supports entrepreneurs, I mean, they have royally fucked it up, like, <laughs> really badly. Where to the point now we've seen throughout the week all the sort of major business partners have started to abandon Pitch at Palace, so Standard Chartered, BT, KPMG... What's he got left? I can't work out, Basha. What was the bad use of language there? Is it fucked up or the use of royal? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there's a risk here that we're going to do exactly what Prince Andrew did, which is we talk about a whole load of people, but not the ones that matter most, those people who are survivors of Jeffrey Epstein's abuse. And there are two people at the heart of this story, not just Prince Andrew, but obviously Virginia Roberts, who makes allegations against him. Basha, what does she say? So Virginia Roberts says that she was trafficked for sex and as part of that trafficking she was lent out to Prince Andrew. This all breaks open in 2006 when the FBI starts an investigation into Epstein, a billionaire financier, after two parents made a complaint in Palm Beach. In 2008 he was convicted of soliciting sex with a minor. He only served 13 months of an 18-month sentence. And let's have a listen now because it's taken a long time, if you like, to get to the steps of the court. But here's what Virginia Roberts says about Prince Andrew. That night, Prince Andrew came to her house in, in London and we went out to Club Tramp. Prince Andrew got me alcohol. It was in the VIP section. It was, I'm pretty sure it was vodka. Prince Andrew was like, let's dance together. And I was like, okay. And, and we leave Club Tramp and I hop in the car with Ghislaine and Jeffrey and Ghislaine. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Lynn said he's coming back to the house. 
and I want you to do for him what you do for Epstein. And we'll come to how she got to the point of making those allegations, but if you didn't see, and maybe even if you did, it's worth listening to the defence that Prince Andrew made on the BBC. I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. You've seen the photo? I've seen the photograph. How do you explain that? I can't, because I don't, I have no, I, again, I have absolutely no memory of that photograph ever being taken. Do you recognise yourself in oh, the photo? Oh, yeah, it's pretty difficult not to recognise yourself. Your friend suggested that the photo is fake. I think it's, uh, from the investigations that we've done, you can't prove whether or not that photograph is uh, faked or not because it is a photograph of a photograph of a photograph. So it's very difficult to be able to, to, um, to, to prove it. But I, I don't remember that photograph ever being taken. But it's possible that it was you with your was, arm around That's me, but, but whether that's my hand or whether that's um, the position, I, I, but I don't, I have simply no recollection. So I think what's really interesting about listening to Andrew, that he's whispering the defence. He's not saying it out loud, he's got other people who are doing that for him. And the reason he's not saying it out loud is because he knows that you can't attack Virginia Roberts. She's the victim of sexual abuse. So what the people around Andrew are trying to do is attack the story, undermine the story and the credibility of the people who brought it to our attention in the first place, rather than going after the victim. But as you say, behind the scenes, the merchants of doubt are at work trying to tease away or unravel the story. Yeah. So I'm, going to, I'm going to introduce a new character here, a guy called Maza Mahmood, and I think, Bashi, you're going to talk in a while about a woman called Sharon Church. But let's start with Maza Mahmood. So probably for like 15 or 20 years, the most famous journalist in this country. There was scarcely an edition of the News of the World that didn't have some sort of scoop from him. And we got to know the way he worked. He, he, he invented this character called the fake shake, that he would, he would entrap people, he would induce them to tell him things, he would film that secretly, and then he would splash over usually drugs or sex were the two, you know, the, the, the two big ones. And, and that became a habit that he carried on over decades. And Kerry, full disclosure, you ran the panorama that exposed him. We ran the panorama that effectively was, stopped him working. So by that time, I think it was 2014, we'd effectively decided that it wasn't reasonable to treat him as a journalist anymore. I think he'd been granted protection by other journalists because they thought he was part of the gang. And it was clear to us, I think, that the level of entrapment, the lie, the manipulation of evidence that he was using, you know, he, he was by no means a journalist and therefore it was reasonable to do what we did, which was to show his face and basically to stop him. And what was the way he operated? So he would pose the shape of money. He would lure people in with the, with the idea that he would be giving them money and then when he got close to them, he would say, oh, you know, could you get me some drugs, perhaps? Uh, you know, I'm interested in a prostitute. Could you could you supply that? He did that, interestingly, with a man called John Bryan, who was the boyfriend of the Duchess of York, Prince Andrew's ex-wife at that point. So Prince Andrew would have known that he had a habit of trying to get close to members of the royal family and not just the Duchess of York. And what's his relationship with this story? He was the first person to publish the picture of Jeffrey Epstein and Prince Andrew in the park under the headline, Prince Andy and the Paedophile, in 2011. So basically, I think the core of Andrew's case, or the core of the case of people around him rather than the one that he's saying, is that Maza Mahmood is a crook. And it's true, he went to jail. And in the end, you have to remember, this story came from a crook who was known for fitting people up. And just bear that in mind when you're looking at it. But what's interesting is that that's obviously not true. They are trying to sow doubt over the provenance of that photograph and are sort of subtly suggesting that it might have been a setup. 
He's probably regretting this photograph too with Epstein's teenage masseuse, Virginia Roberts. Now, one of the cardinal rules of journalism is that when you start doing something that doesn't really quite work, you just keep doing it. So we're going to stick with that principle and we're going to keep on describing photographs that if we, if you like, are the stepping stones to this story. So the next one is a picture that many people will have seen of Prince Andrew with his arm around the waist of Virginia Roberts, Ghislaine Maxwell in the background, upstairs in her home in Belgravia. In 2001. In 2001. We haven't talked about Sharon Churchill yet, so I think we need to we need to dig into her a bit. So Sharon Churchill is a Mail on Sunday journalist, and she was in touch with Virginia Roberts for a number of years. And by all accounts from emails that have been attached to various depositions and court cases, they were close friends. And Sharon Churchill was assisting Virginia Roberts in writing a, a memoir and helping her pitch it to agents. And, and Amazon Mahmood and Sharon Churchill know each other or working together. We don't know that, and we, we did look into it, but it's interesting that, that people in the palace are also asking that same question. So it's just worth stepping back, I think, just for a minute here before we get on to the US side of this story. But it's worth just standing back and realising that you've got, on the one hand, people saying this is a story about the royal family, about the slimming down of the royal family, about Andrew trying to assert himself, about his failure to understand how he plays in the public. But inside the palace, there's a different strand. And they say, this is a story about the media. And Bachelor, there have been some aspersions cast about whether there were inconsistencies in this account that Virginia Roberts gave of her relationship with Prince Andrew. Is that right? It's really interesting that that's what they're trying to say because I've been back through the court depositions and various court filings and I just don't think that that argument holds water. So she, in her first legal submission, she did mention that she was lent out to royalty, academics, businessmen, but she doesn't name Prince Andrew. This is in the 2009 deposition. In the 2009 court filing. Then in 2011, this is when the picture of Prince Andrew with his arm around her waist comes out in 2011 it's left very unclear whether she's alleging that they had sex there's a line in a mail on sunday article about the picture and about that moment where they meet where she says that epstein and maxwell left and then andrew left a while later but she doesn't say specifically that they had sex that changes in 2015 when there's another mail on sunday article that's when we get the full story about going to Tramp, having sex, having massages. So the two views aren't there on the Virginia Roberts allegations. One is that she added, embellished, possibly even was induced to name names, and it changed over time. And the other is actually, no, you can draw a straight line from what she said the first time she engaged with the courts up to the steps of the courts just a few months ago. So from her first court filing in 2009, she does mention royalty. And actually, she just builds on that story over time with Sharon Churcher, the Mail on Sunday journalist. So in 2011, she gives a bit more detail. She gives the photograph. And then in 2015, she kind of gives the full allegation. But in the depositions, which people close to Andrew are trying to suggest show inconsistency or show that she might have been coached, there is one name that's interesting, which is Alan Dershowitz who is the star US lawyer who is now a bit of an attack dog for Donald Trump. He appears a lot on Fox News. And in an email to Virginia Roberts in May 2011, they're working on a book pitch that Sharon Churcher is helping Virginia tout around to various agents. And she writes, don't forget Alan Dershowitz. 
J.E., Jeffrey Epstein's buddy and lawyer. Good name for your pitch as he repped Klaus von Bülow and a movie was made about that case. Title was Reversal of Fortune. We all suspect Alan is a pedo and though no proof of that, you probably met him when he was hanging out with J.E. And that's been seized upon by Dershowitz as possible evidence that Virginia Roberts is not credible and is being used in quite a central legal case now, which is a defamation case from Robert now Jufre against Dershowitz, which is now the main legal avenue for the Epstein allegations. It's not just Alan Dershowitz who's pointing to that moment as being quite tricky. It's also people close to Prince Andrew are saying, do pay close attention to what at face value looks like a name being given to Virginia Roberts that she hadn't previously considered. But Virginia Roberts has countered that to say, Actually, Sharon Churchill knew that, that she had already mentioned him, but she had just forgotten. Of course, Alan Dershowitz says, and, and this also is echoed by people close to Prince Andrew, that you have to remember that he was, by this point, he wasn't just a star lawyer. He was an immense kind of bogeyman in the, the US, not just the Klaus von Bülow case, but he was seen as an enemy to women's rights. He was seen as a sort of pro-pornography. He went out of his way to take difficult cases that particularly feminist groups, women hated him doing. And so he is trying to pitch himself as a sort of obvious victim of this kind of smear. And to an extent, I think Prince Andrew's team are trying to associate him, a prince, with that as well. And the reason this story just sprawls is it's not just Prince Andrew. In fact, if you're looking at it from the state, he's a bit player. There is a cast like a celebrity lawyers like Avengers Assemble swirling around this and it's not just Dershowitz is it? No so there are a few really key names in this David Boys is one of them he's representing Virginia Roberts he was the man who was defending Weinstein who engaged the services of Black Cube the former Mossad agents to try and discredit victims and also the New York Times. Boys is working with Lisa Bloom. Lisa Bloom is the daughter of Gloria Allred, who's a very famous women's rights lawyer. So Bloom was also working with Weinstein, but is now representing victims of Epstein, along with her mother, who is representing another two women. And Dershowitz represented Epstein in the truly controversial 2008 settlement where he agreed that Epstein would go to prison for no more than 18 months for the, his conviction of soliciting sex with a minor. So there's a mad revolving door. The point is this, is that you've got this extraordinarily powerful group of people, boys, Dershowitz, all of these in terms of multi-million dollar deals. On uh, with grudges going back years in some cases. Years and years. Yes. You know when you find yourself an actor in a play, you think, well, where on earth is this going? And you're still getting characters dropped in that you're not necessarily going to have this thing play out in a way that you expect. And to take it back to Andrew and the interview and the mystery of why he chose to play now is he's playing himself into a situation where there is so much yet to be resolved, not least his own accountability for his many visits to Jeffrey Epstein's many homes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think he's also playing himself into a situation that we can foresee, which is that because Virginia Roberts is suing Alan Dershowitz for defamation, if there's more information to come out, we know where that's going to be, and it's going to be in that trial. Yeah. And there is a logic to it, which is you want to maintain your place in the royal family, and that place in the royal family is in question. And I think that there are some very big things going on in the world, not just in the UK, which is people in other royal families, in Spain, in Holland, but most notably in Sweden, saying, actually, we can fundamentally re-engineer 
this and that we could have a longer constitutional monarchy running into the 21st century and do so, but not if we indulge quite so many gilded trappings. And so this is a battle within the royal family for presence, for being in the line of sight. And look, I, I'm going to make a small plug here at the end. The reason why I think there is a real substance here, there is a real subject here, is that we are living in the UK at a time of extraordinary political turmoil, and one of the questions that arises is how is our country run? Right? What are the rules? What's the nature of our constitution? And I think in the background there's a very specific question, which is how should the Queen talk about the values that bring people together? Now, this particular issue with Prince Andrew takes you off on a total tangent, but it does raise once again the question of how does the Queen, as the, as, as the head of state, talk about the country? And so the final place that I personally think this ends up is curiously enough with the Queen. Well, on that note, we should probably stop. We've kissed goodbye to the knighthoods. Uh, mm -hmm. Thanks so much for listening. And just a reminder that you can download the Tortoise app in the iTunes store. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.